Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mocha's in the Meantime. Before we dive into the bulk of the content for this episode, we wanted to just give a trigger warning for discussions surrounding bodies, body image, and dieting behaviors. If these topics are triggering to you at all or something that you feel uncomfortable listening to, we just wanted to be transparent and let you know that they do come up throughout this episode. So thank you and yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Rachel. And I'm Sarah. And we're sisters who just so happen to be best friends. We're here to unpack all of the unexpected moments that come with early adulthood and hope to uncover a more meaningful life, one conversation and cup of coffee at a time. This This is Mocha's in the Meantime. Hey everybody and welcome back to Mocha's in the Meantime. This is Rachel. And Sarah. And we are so excited to be back at it, recording, Mm -hmm. um, just back to the grind yeah back to the (laughs) podcasting lifestyle (laughs) yeah basically we want to just say thanks so much for your patience in kind of getting these episodes and blog posts pushed back a few weeks um i'm not going to dive too much into it but i just a brief rundown i had a um oral surgery related situation that kind of took a lot of my time figuring out what was going on and um i was definitely very puffy so i couldn't talk very normally (laughs) Um, which made obviously recording a podcast not very feasible in that Mm. window of time but um, luckily things are on the mend and everything's like figured out now so thanks for your patience (laughs) yeah it's been a little while since we've recorded so I feel like getting back in the groove with recording was a great opportunity for us to like kind of come out with a bang for our next episode um, because it's been a little while and so we think that this episode is gonna achieve that because we're having a great guest on um her name is amelia and she's actually our cousin yeah like our first cousin my um mom's sister's daughter (laughs) yeah and just over the years we've gotten to hang out with amelia and have some great conversations and we thought that she'd be a great person to have on um yeah yeah we just have a lot of respect and admiration for her as a person so we were really honored that she was willing to come on the podcast and talk more about her modeling experience yeah yeah so just to give a, a bit of Um, information. Amelia will share more. But um, Amelia worked as a professional model for a very long time. And so she has a lot of insight on just what working in the fashion industry is like. um, And the sorts of situations she came up against were just things that Rachel and I were really curious to learn more about. And we thought that the rest of the world would also find it to be interesting. So yeah, I'll leave it at that. I think we should just kind of get into the bulk of the episode. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. We're here with our cousin, Amelia, um, and we're really excited to welcome her on the show to just talk a little bit about her experience as a model and working in the fashion industry. And so, yeah, Amelia, thanks for being here. And we just want to give you a chance to tell everyone a little bit about yourself to start. Sure. So um, I started working in the modeling industry in 2006 at 15 years old. Um, I've done New York Fashion Week, magazine editorials, a whole lot of hair shows, and some commercials. Um, I got to work for companies like 
Bibi and Burberry and Gucci and I got to travel and live in some amazing places like Tokyo and New Zealand. I'm not going to say Paris because I know you guys got some beef with them. Um, <laughs> but I quit my agency in 2018 and freelanced for about a year. But after 13 years of modeling, I would say I'm pretty much retired and now I'm pursuing a degree in environmental biology. So we shall see what happens with that. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're so excited to have you here. Anything to do with modeling in the fashion industry, I think, is so unknown to a lot of people of like how it actually works because I think there's so much like media depictions of it and like TV shows. And I feel like it's really valuable to have firsthand experience to ask you about because I think it is very interesting to a lot of people I know when Mm -hmm. I've like shared that I oh I know someone that's a model they're like whoa like what is it actually like so Mm -hmm. thank you so much for being able to share all of this with us so no worries I know I get the same questions from people every single time they find out that I was a model or am a model I always get asked like do you get the clothes and I'm like no. Oh my <laughs> no, god, that would be great if you did. Honestly, I know, right? Well, sometimes they pay you in clothes, but it's like money, clothes. I don't know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I'd yeah. rather have the money, honestly. <laughs> Especially because sometimes the clothes are so expensive that you can only get like one thing, and then it's like, cool. I have a new shirt after working for six hours. Great. Not saying that the clothes aren't cool. They are cool. Yeah. But- <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we were hoping you could tell us a little bit about just like what the overall environment is as a model, like professionally, and then I guess how it also felt personally to you, just like what kinds of environments you were working in and living in um, during your career, because it was a pretty long career too. You said 13 years? Yeah, I was with an agency for 12 years. So that was like the more professional part. But so yeah, so when I was younger, I feel like it was this kind of really big and exciting, uh, new, fun place to be. And I think I I always enjoyed parts of it throughout my career. But uh, it did kind of like it showed this kind of toxic side of the fashion industry to myself and how I got treated and like other models got treated and it's very like objectifying and yeah and when you're young and everything getting into the into the modeling industry you can get taken advantage of really easily like when I first moved to New York and I was doing fashion week I was 19 and I had no idea but I was living in a model apartment which was Mm -hmm. terrible um but I didn't realize I was paying $75 a night and most of it went to my agency and they didn't tell me how much I was paying they like all of that information was left out so I was just thinking about how many models go through that where they are actually spending so much money to go to their agency and they don't speak English. A lot of models were like Brazilian and Russian and didn't speak English or they were like 15. And how are you to know to ask those things, right? So there's a lot of kind of using and abusing of young, vulnerable people for sure. Mm -hmm. Wow. I didn't realize you would have to pay for your Mm -hmm. lodging somewhere. Yeah, they make you pay for pretty much everything. Like, uh, for example, uh, when I was working in New York both times, um, they took me shopping for like a new casting wardrobe. 
and they had like, a, you can spend $500. And they didn't tell me that it was my own $500. So like when I would get a, my next check, they would just take that out of the check. And oh my yeah, God. so they would like take me to all these places. And it seems like this fun, exciting day where I was getting mm -hmm. free clothes, but I was not. And so when I figured that out the second time around, I was way more choosy. And I remember my booker called me difficult because I didn't like anything. And I was like, but it's my own money. Like what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, oh my God. Yeah, lots of weird situations like that. Mm -hmm. So. Wow. wow. I guess when you were like getting into the modeling world, like for the very first time, was it kind of like overwhelming to understand like the contracts and like the financial side of it? Like, did they make it kind of confusing? Because it sounds like they were kind of vague with you at times that made you maybe lead astray or get confused of what you deserve to be making and stuff. Yeah, I'd say not so much in Chicago. I feel like in Chicago, they're pretty upfront. When we started out, it was pretty upfront, like you're gonna have to pay this much money for photo shoots and uh, etc. But it was more like that once I started traveling and being with agencies in different cities and different countries where then it was kind of like, maybe there was something communicated to my agency in Chicago that wasn't communicated to me or something like that. So I'm not sure if it was lost in translation or if it was just not communicated to me on purpose, but yeah. Rach and I have watched our fair share of like America's Next Top Model and just seen kind of how modeling is portrayed in like TV shows and movies and such. And I feel like they leave all of this stuff out. It looks very like glamorous. Or I think there's also like stereotypes of what models, who models are too. And I was curious like how you feel about this portrayal of modeling like in these different media outlets. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hyper glamorized for sure. But then uh, especially America's Next Top Model, it's just very unrealistic, right? Like um, they put them in these really dramatic situations and stuff. So these people are in really high stress environments. And then on top of that, they're put into situations where they're like, like at, in dangerous positions and like hanging from the ceiling or holding ice cream for too long. Like um, there's the model, Sarah, I can't remember her name, but she works in Chicago and she has like frostbite on her hands from holding ice cream in America's Next Top Model. And she apparently asked them like multiple times if she could take it off her hands and they were like, no. And now she has like scars on her hands. Oh my God. Wow. That's the kind of stuff that would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. I was watching it somewhat recently, just like kind of in preparation for this episode. Like I wanted to just reorient myself to how America's Next Top Model is. And there was this photo shoot on like these slippery rocks. I was just like, this is so dangerous. They could fall and like break their head open. And they're probably wearing like stilettos or... Or like they were just like barefoot, like in okay. these like really slippery Slidey. rocks. And I was like, I wonder if this would ever... It's probably a very rare occurrence in real life. but Yeah, I don't think so. So I guess like physically it's safer, like your experience than I the show. So. I mean, there's obviously the photo shoot every once in a while. I mean, we live in Chicago, so there's like an occasional photo shoot where you're outside in 50 degree weather and you're freezing your butt off. But I'd say that's the most... Mm -hmm. terrible it gets yeah but I would say that America's Next Top Model does have some realistic parts to it like the way 
the judges kind of treat the models and talk about them in front of their face and stuff like that and objectify them and you know wait so that part of it's actually pretty realistic like it's not I mean, just drama that part's I mean it's ma it's like a magnified version of real life I'd say there's definitely positions that you get into as a model where clients are talking about you in front of your face as if you're not a person or they're calling you the model or just not feeding you or whatever and and you're kind of meant to be tolerant to it you're expected to just deal with that kind of stuff and if you complain you get complained about so it's kind of like this weird yeah you are just a nothing you're an, you're an object at that point your body was there like a point where you not got over it or like was there a point where you were able to tolerate it more or was it always really hard to kind of deal with that side of things I think I became less tolerant of it mm -hmm. as time went by and I think I became more empowered to stand up for myself and like uh ask for things that I need and when I was younger I felt like I couldn't because I had been kind of put down about it so many times I don't know if it's necessarily a change in me or society or or what but I definitely think that I got to a point where I was like no I have I have to eat or no I have to use the bathroom or like it's too cold like that kind of thing where once you're kind of empowered and you're older and you are experienced they listen to you a little bit more I think so mm -hmm. yeah yeah like to just advocate for yourself I feel like especially yeah. at like 15 or 16 oh my god it'd be so hard <laughs> like I would never I mean thinking of myself being in your shoes I don't think I would have had any sort of like thought to stand up for myself at all I'd just be like oh well, this is the job this is the world that I'm in and mm -hmm. so I have to like behave in the way that will make me successful which is to yeah. be quiet it sounds like definitely mm -hmm. yeah that's like really hard to deal with as a teenager <laughs> even okay. I mean any age but I think especially being a teenager I feel like you're already at least me at like 15 was like not comfortable like asserting myself as easily so I feel mm -hmm. like it would just be really hard knowing that you not asserting yourself is maybe what could help you get ahead in some ways if you're super passive and easy to work with in their <laughs> eyes like you could get ahead even though it's taking a toll on yourself which is really I think a hard situation to be in for anyone yeah mm -hmm. and I think as I got older too I saw that mirrored in the young models around me I saw mm -hmm. kind of like what my own pain was and my own uh stress and what I dealt with in these younger people and I was like oh my god like um it did it was kind of nice to be there for some of the models who like kind of came to me and they were like what do I do and stuff like that in those situations but that's why like the whole modeling network is so important I think models for models it's kind of big especially with like the Me Too movement happening and just like a lot of uh, I don't know just abuse that goes on within the modeling industry so yeah I wanted to hear more about what it was like kind of interacting and just being around other models like what sorts of experiences you had there as well because I know you said you lived with other models and obviously you worked a lot with other people in the industry so living with models in New York I'd say I saw the most uh unhealthy uh models and like 
kind of mentality and living situations just because uh, there's such a there's such high pressure to be perfect there. So um, especially during fashion week, there was a lot of like models weren't eating and um, smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of alcohol and stuff like that, but like not taking care of their bodies. And um, I think I told you guys, like the whole refrigerator in my model apartment was full of food, but no one was ever eating. And I'd be like, sitting in a corner like eating an apple and people would be like staring at me I was like Ugh. oh my god <laughs> wow it was weird being in a, mo- a room, like a whole apartment full of models I think there was six bunk beds or not mm-hmm. six bunk beds I think there was three bunk beds so there's six of us living in this model apartment and like never seeing anybody eat it was super weird knowing myself like I'd be almost like wondering what they're all thinking of me too mm-hmm. like I oh no know. definitely I think it, it, there was definitely times when I was on photo shoots too, and they would be like, oh, let's order food. Um, and I would get a sandwich and everyone else would get a salad. And then I'd be like eating my sandwich, scarfing it down because I'm starving. And people would be like, whoa, you're eating carbs, like eating their little salads. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Or, oh my gosh. One time I was in DC for a hair show. I just remember this. And I was at this table full of models and I swear Every single one of them, except for me and my friend Sarah, were talking about how they couldn't eat carbs. Like, they just can't eat carbs. But then they were all eating French fries. It was really weird. It was like, what? Weird, like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> like, Potatoes, who can't eat more competition? I don't know. It was, mm. like, super strange. <laughs> wow. wow. Wait, so that's actually kind of, like, I think, in a way, mirroring some of the, like, stereotypes in, like, TV shows and such of, like, there being just like a lot of dieting behaviors going on oh definitely I mean I think everyone in the modeling industry has body dysmorphia um this is a super weird thing to admit but I feel like it at my peak when I was like the most insecure about my body when I was in like New York and stuff I did find myself constantly comparing my body to the other models around me and stuff like that and just either being like, oh, good, like, they have bigger hips than me, or being like, oh, my God, they're way skinnier than me, like, I'll never get this job or whatever. So it was, like, this very toxic, like, um, not that I, like, didn't like the people or whatever, it was just, like, this weird comparison thing. But I think, I don't know, it's very unhealthy, though. (laughs) I think it would be really easy to fall into that. I mean, I spent the majority of my time modeling in Chicago, which I feel like is not a competitive market at all. Um, and then when I moved to New York, it definitely felt like uh, I was being like looked up and down everywhere I went. I don't know if it, like, I feel like I didn't make like a ton of model friends in New York. So I couldn't say if it was, I guess, like a known that people talked about each other or compared themselves mm-hmm. to each other. It might've just been like a a big like mental socialization where everyone yeah. was just constantly comparing and feeling threatened by each other or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah, that's really hard. Because you're all kind of going through the same struggles. So it's, you know, it would have been better or easier to probably bond together. But because of the way that the industry was set up in New York, it sounds like it was hard to do that (laughs) with each other. Yeah, it was weird because in Chicago, you would walk into a casting and you're like, hey, like, you know, everyone and everyone's like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's just casually. But in New York, like the first casting I went to, I walked in and I was like, hey, and everyone looked at me like, who really? the hell are you? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, gosh really? 
Yeah, I was like, well, wow. that's not something we do here. <laughs> I wow. wonder if that's also like a Midwest versus East Coast thing or if it's more so the industry there. I don't know. That's a, yeah. I mean, it also might be just that there were people from everywhere that came from out of the country and stuff. So it just felt like there was more pressure to be successful. Where in Chicago, it's like everyone kind of knows each other already and there's yeah it's just Chicagoans at that point so yeah. I guess with like fashion week and stuff there's so many people probably competing to be in New York specifically yeah and I think the mental health of people in during fashion week is pretty low I think because it's two weeks for models it's not one week it's like the first week is all uh castings and go sees, and you have like 10 to 15 a day and they're in a bunch of different boroughs so you don't get a ton of sleep and you don't get a ton of time to eat you're just kind of like running around and um it's a pretty hard couple weeks (laughs) Mm because then also if you get jobs which not everyone does then you have like your castings and your jobs the next week so you have to have this pressure of going to a job and getting all done up and stuff like that and then figuring out how to take it down as fast as you possibly can and like get to your next casting As we've been talking a lot about, like, just some of the issues and, like, some of the toxicity that is present in the industry, do you feel like that you've seen somewhat of a trend of change, like, things being different in the modeling industry, in the fashion industry, or just, like, there being more resources or accountability present now as, like, maybe more of this is coming out? Definitely. I think... um... Like I said, the Me Too movement is taking off, but it's taking off like really hard in the fashion industry, like all of a sudden with like uh, Alexander Wang getting called out. And I think there's someone else that worked for Alexander Wang who's getting called out. I don't know. But yeah, that's a big thing. And there's a bunch of photographers that are getting called out. Um, And then you have... Uh, model alliance which is kind of like this resource for models and they have an instagram and they post like all the people who are abusers or kind of who to be careful of i know they were posting about like if you're gonna go model in mexico like don't go to this agency because the guy who owns it is like something something you know so they definitely have a lot of good warnings and uh advice for models which is nice because that's something that has not existed before. Do you feel like the actual agencies themselves have been taking strides to be more protective of mm-hmm. the models that they are sending out to shoots? Or is it more so you guys empowering and advocating yourself? I would like to think that the agencies are looking out for their models better mm-hmm. these days and taking care of them better these days. Um, because it seems to me like such a toxic part of the modeling agency were bookers and how they kind of disrespected and treated their models badly and used Mm -hmm. and abused them. Um, Hopefully that's changing because I think a lot of younger people are going into like agencies and being bookers. And obviously the younger generations are, they're more understanding of people or like empathetic or, you know, open about diversity and stuff like that Mm. less sexist educated educated yeah Mm. oh so you're saying like as younger people are coming into the agencies and like kind of taking over it's like a a positive thing 
potentially because yeah. there's more awareness mm-hmm. and like maybe more openness yeah I think so I think the um older bookers were more on the toxic end hopefully the new ones are better I don't know I haven't been with an agency in three years so I can say for sure if I was represented by someone like I would just automatically kind of trust that they would have my best interest so it's sad to hear that there are agencies that don't necessarily have your back as much as you expect maybe when you first sign with them or interact with them I think it's upsetting because you they're like these adults that you kind of grow up with and they're they're supposed to be protecting you and you put your trust in them to put you in safe situations and stuff like that and and then they do something shysty or like treat you badly and then it's Mm -hmm. like what was this relationship that I made with you? It's like almost like an abusive relationship or something, you know? So I know like the the booker that, she was my booker from the time I was like 18 to like 26. Mm -hmm. I traveled with her as my booker and stuff like that. I always felt like really cared for and like I could reach out to her. And then um, she pulled this weird thing with this model who was like way younger than me that came to me to ask for help. And she had, she was like standing in the agency getting her measurements taken which means you're in a bikini in the middle of a room with like all the bookers everyone's standing around you you're like visible right and Mm. she went up to her and like shook her thigh and she felt like super violated and Mm. didn't know what to do or like how to approach the situation and stuff so she just kind of like stood there and let it happen Mm. and I was like that's totally inappropriate like I can't believe this person that I've trusted for so many years is like doing weird mm-hmm. abusive things like that to other mm-hmm. models. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's very strange. So mm. wow. that's so scary. Like I just would not know how to handle like Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd probably freeze too. For mm-hmm. sure. I guess it's interesting that this industry over any any other one, it's like so physically like about what you look like that I feel like maybe easier for people to do things like that and be like oh it's because it's about her body for Mm -hmm. the shoot or whatever and like almost Mm. excuse these behaviors maybe the actual industry it's like easier for people to kind of justify like things like that even though it shouldn't be justified Mm. they're using their positions of power or like manipulation of younger vulnerable people to make stuff like that seem okay I guess yeah but it does seem to be like a trend in the fashion industry too even through like designers and photographers and stuff like that that your feelings and uh who you are as a person doesn't really matter so maybe it's just this like weird objectification of models that goes past understanding what people's feelings are it's just like oh you're a body that works for me you know I don't know it's a weird mentality to have where you feel like you can just control someone's body like that so yeah and like I think something that Rach and I have talked a lot about or like I think I've also talked a lot about with like peers in my nutrition classes we talk a lot about like body image and like weight stigma and shaming bodies and such and I feel like it's an interesting lens to talk about body positivity like in this conversation because we're talking more in the fashion realm and like um there's been shifts in like you know the types of advertisements you see maybe like larger bodies are like now more integrated into 
like lingerie ads and stuff like that. And certain companies are doing a good job of that. But I wanted to hear more about what you've observed. Um, Like, are things getting better in that respect? Like just having more diverse, um, I guess not only in body size, but just like in race, ethnicity, like just more diversity in general um, in this world too. Yeah, I think so. I think we're kind of pushing uh, society to be more inclusive. Um, There used to be, like, if you looked at the runway shows of the 90s, there would be, like, maybe one Black model and then no plus-size models usually. So it was kind of like the token Black model, the token, you know, Asian model or whatever. So it's nice to see that now these uh, companies are putting more ethnicity on display or like body sizes on display. But I don't know if it's like a choice, you know, I don't know if it's that they're, they want to do that or if it's that society is kind of pushing them that way that the general public wants to see that now. So, but it is nice that that is happening more. I feel like we can't even see it if we go to like Target, you know, we see more diverse body type sections in the women's clothing department and stuff like that. So it is kind of blowing up a little bit, which is nice. Um, And then also you have makeup companies and clothing like Fenty where um, we didn't really have shades, like shades of makeup that went to dark skinned people. So she's kind of making that popular, making these like dark shades of makeup for, for darker people. And it's nice as well from the modeling perspective because I remember talking to black models and them saying like they would have they would be told to bring their own foundation or do their own hair like that kind of Mm, thing where like the white models would come and have everything for them you know so it wasn't really set up for inclusivity yeah like there were more barriers in place to like your success if you're not like fitting the perfect mold of like a white thin model totally Mm. Mm. yeah I could see that. So you think that like it might be it could be the companies, but it could also be just these societal shifts that are starting to take more ground nowadays that are kind of demanding that companies do more. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, as a capitalistic society, right, we vote with our money. So I think companies are starting to see like this this is what we want and you're not going to get business if you're not following this trend, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. like you see, like, I think a couple big companies like Gucci kind of got shit for not being inclusive and stuff like that. So people are getting called out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think these companies want to get called out for not being inclusive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind of pushing them, I think. Yeah. It's good. Go us. <laughs> yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I know in my one of my classes we are learning about how gen z specifically that age range is like the most values driven buyers so like values play a much bigger role in what our age range purchases over other age groups so i think it makes sense that companies are shifting because the newest generation is more concerned about the values of a brand rather than just the products, which I think is an interesting shift because I don't think people thought about that as much in the past. Or maybe they did, but they didn't really demand change the way they do now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they were feeding us consumerism for so long that now we're kind of like, 
do we want to buy all of this stuff that's made really badly and is going to wear out in six months or do I want something that's high quality? I think that's why thrifting is so popular all of a sudden because people are like, oh, I can get really good quality clothes for, for cheap. Why wouldn't I do that, you know? Yeah, I sometimes, I feel like social media has, even though there's a lot of cons, like some of the pros are that people I think are sharing more stories like even with the me too movement and talking about these brands that maybe in the past people just didn't know how i guess negative things were behind the scenes so mm. maybe that's also played a role in how gen z's look at companies too. yeah yeah i mean also back in the day how did you even out people for being exactly predatory like read in the newspaper I don't know like <laughs> right and you probably wouldn't be published if you had a story like there were too many gatekeepers like holding back these stories mm -hmm. so true yeah. yeah it would have to be like word of mouth to protect other models too you have to kind of depend on that mm -hmm. yeah or like blogged or something <laughs> I don't know yeah <laughs> <laughs> send out a big email Mm -hmm. <laughs> a mass email <laughs> honestly yeah. though even just it reminds me kind of of Hollywood in a lot of ways like similar problems coming forward and mm. like knowing that if you speak out your career will be in jeopardy I think is probably similar mm. in I think the it's modeling a, world it's a really similar bubble where you have like the actors and the producers and the directors and the, the people who are kind of like above and below and more susceptible and more vulnerable and then the people with like a great amount of power right who are people protect them because they have so much power so much money and I think that's the same in the modeling industry you have these like high profile photographers or um fashion designers that have all this money and power and so they're being protected and then you have all these models who are extremely vulnerable and a lot of times put in positions where they don't they don't know what to do or they don't have control or whatever. So yeah, I think it's very similar to Hollywood and it's more needed because the women are so young, in my opinion. You have these like 15 year old Russians coming to live and work in New York and they don't know anything that's going on or who they're going with or where they're going or how much money they're paying for their apartment or whatever. How are they supposed to be able to protect themselves? I guess one thing that we talked about while prepping for this episode that I thought was interesting and I didn't know anything about was how you were saying that like initially the reason that models are usually thinner is based on like fabric and having like it takes less money to clothe smaller people and I just thought that was an interesting idea if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so they have sample size, right, which is mm -hmm. um, going to be the smallest piece of clothing that they can make and still put on a model. And I believe that they started doing sample sizes super small because it was super cost effective. Mm -hmm. So they had to have models that fit these sample sizes. And if you do like a runway show, you're wearing a sample. You're not wearing um, a mass-produced item. You're wearing mm -hmm. a... Thing that was made just maybe one or a couple pieces of and then you have to fit into it so yeah I think there it's it's a cost-effective mm, tactic 
for Mm -hmm. sure. It's like so much is profit-based, but then us as the consumers, like when we see such thin models, like the beauty standard also shifts, but maybe initially it was just for money, not even for the appearance. So I think it's interesting. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like uh, back in the day when clothing cost a lot more, when in like the 50s 60s when people bought all american made clothing and they had to like save up for it to get a shirt or a new pair of hose or something right it was probably something that companies had to do because they had to save as much money as they possibly could and like the intent could be so different from how it's perceived yeah, by that's what i was trying to get by at. everyone else because there is so much like I don't know, just like weight stigma and people just being very like insecure about how they look because there is so much influence from like media and advertisements and like actors and actresses and singers and everybody being like, I don't know. I think it is different. It's getting better, but it is just interesting to like think about the like the the origin of that that compared to like how it's ended up being perceived. Because it is really bad that models are like so beautiful and actors are so beautiful it's like why can't we just have normal people instead of forcing this beauty standard on people especially when it's not real the majority of what you see Mm -hmm. is so edited and Mm -hmm. so made up that like i've said this before like no model actually looks like themselves like there's a lot of steps between the actual like person arriving between like makeup and everything and then also just digital like editing as well Absolutely. to like give you a product that's very different than like the authentic yeah person had you, had you two ever seen me after a shoot like I just I don't even look like the same person when I when I like get off a shoot and have all the makeup on and stuff mm-hmm. you're completely transformed mm-hmm. yeah there have been photos I've seen of you where I was like I had to like do a double take mm-hmm. to know that it was you <laughs> <laughs> it's not yeah. that I look at that I'm like this doesn't look like me at all but <laughs> so yeah this is kind of segueing but um I remember we had talked about in preparing for this episode how the differences between like our parents and like our nana for example like how they kind of approached buying clothing and like the value of a piece was kind of viewed very differently than today especially because clothing is a lot cheaper often mm-hmm. um and you introduced me to this idea of like fast versus slow fashion, which I had never heard of before, actually. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, like, um, and maybe like if there's any certain brands or like ways to be environmentally conscious as you're a consumer, because there is a lot of waste in the fashion industry as well, mm-hmm. like environmentally too. Okay, so slow fashion is um, pretty much if you think about typical brands and how they do their spring, summer um, runway Mm -hmm. fashion show and then their fall, winter fashion show, that's slow fashion. That's a a brand that comes out with clothing two times a year. That's like typical of slow fashion and what fashion kind of has always been but now we have fast fashion which is like ASOS and H&M and Forever 21 which they make and produce new trends like every other week so you have this constant push for consumption where it's like oh my god but this is so cute and this is so cute but the problem with this fast fashion is that we're consuming so much of it and we're consuming it so quickly that it's putting a lot of 
stress on an environment and on the local communities that run the factories Mm -hmm. uh, that create Mm -hmm. fast fashion. Um, We're overburdening these communities and we're kind of, they're putting, we're putting a lot of stress on their environments. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of push for um, making it more sustainable. And, and there's a lot of brands that still do that, uh, or are new and they're trying to get that to be popular again, like, um, people tree or girlfriend collective. Um, and then there's, there's just sustainable clothing places now, like you have Veja, which I'm a huge fan of. And they're like a footwear company. They do sneakers and they, Mm -hmm are like fair trade and they get all of their all of their products are like sustainably processed and well like this is also reminding me of like it's kind of trendy now to thrift or to like you you know get used clothing or like Rach and I have gotten a lot of clothes from like our grandma's and mm-hmm. we thought that was really cool, which is in a, in a way like thrifting for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm so jealous that you guys got Nana's clothes too. <laughs> we can yeah. share. She has a lot of good stuff. <laughs> but like there is something kind of desirable about that that I've experienced where it's like you feel like the quality of the clothes is different than a lot of the things I've bought from like H&M or Forever 21, like all those stores you've you mentioned. And so, yeah, I think it's, I don't know, like important to think of ways we can participate in slow fashion, like after hearing about some of the like environmental degradation. I was also wondering, like, are you talking about in like other countries, like where like where these factories are? Is it like usually abroad in fast fashion? Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. mean to make it seem like it's only abroad because the thing is that the U.S. is consuming so much fast fashion like the um, I mean, Europe is as well, but. Uh, so our landfills, our huge percentage of it is clothing unused or, you know, discarded, bad quality, stuff like that. Um, we're just throwing away so much clothing. But yeah, in other countries, in um, like Bangladesh and and in India, they're, they're going through a lot of issues because of specific things like leather dyeing there's a lot of Mm. leather dyeing and what happens is uh hexavalent chromium is released into the water there so Mm. they're having a lot of health problems and i can Mm. only assume that the environment is being ravaged by it if people are suffering you have to assume like the animals Mm -hmm. are suffering and the water and the wildlife no no that makes a lot of so many like trickle down effects to something that is so easily just like a casual thing that you buy a shirt but it's like there was so much behind it that could be detrimental that I think it's easy to forget yeah and we forget about like the, the humans behind our clothes we're buying yeah. these like really really bad quality quickly made articles of clothing that are pretty much made with like the blood of these workers because they're they're dying for the clothes and everything they're they're getting paid nothing they're working in these really unsafe work situations I know there's been a couple situations in Bangladesh where factories have collapsed and it's killed like hundreds of people Um, and yeah I know there's like a lot of abuse and um, these communities aren't taking care of the workers in a way that 
we would be taken care of in the US or Western country where we can kind of demand better treatment or higher wages. They just like can't do that in these places where we're we're like abusing the situations that people can't get workers' rights and mm-hmm. whatnot. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't even think of the piece with the waste here. Like I have that hadn't really crossed my mind much until we started chatting about it. Because I mean, in my own life, it's kind of emerged too. Like I've had articles of clothing that broke really quickly and I was just like, oh, whatever, I can like buy another one. It's $10, you know, so it doesn't matter. Like I just think of it more for that reason. And I think it's easy to get in that bubble like innocently because it seems so normal. Mm -hmm. But especially like teens, like I feel like it was like, oh, the cool stores are like H&M and Forever 21. And, like, you go to the mall with your friends and it's, like, mm-hmm. just so normalized. But I feel like it's important to educate yourself as much as you can. Well, they make it seem really affordable. And that's, I think, the problem is that they're giving you really cheap clothes for really cheap. But because it's so cheap, it you're buying things that are going to break down extremely quickly. Or, like you said, like a strap breaks. How many times have you bought something where, like, two days later, something breaks on it, and you're like, oh, great. all the time. Or, like, a run. Like, a string that you pull that, like, rips. So, you're just getting, you're getting, like, you're getting a bad deal, I think, when you could, when you could thrift or get a better piece of clothing from somewhere else, and it lasts years, and then you end up saving so much money. A pair of jeans, oh, my God, thrifted jeans are so valuable they fit you well and stuff because they can last forever you know yeah Yeah. even like I worked at a clothing store like a few months back and just seeing like that one store which was a pretty small store like how much plastic was used was just like so disheartening at times like when I would unpackage like the new shipments of clothes there was like plastic wrap over like every single shirt when I'm like these could have all been grouped and just thrown in the box without it but you had to like take that extra step to like waste even more or like hangers and there was just so much and these are things you don't think about at all I know like when you Mm -hmm. order clothes like everything comes individually wrapped and stuff like that a lot but I wouldn't I didn't even think about that (laughs) yeah I experienced that too in a retail job I had I did want to ask if you had any other just ideas for ways to participate in slow fashion, especially if you don't have a lot of money to spend. And I know we had talked about thrifting, um, but like, did you have any other ideas? I know there's some sustainable companies you also mentioned. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I think the most important thing is trying to like buy mindfully and not throw away clothes as much as possible. Right. So mm-hmm. um, the best way to find clothing brands that are sustainable is just do a little bit of research um but yeah I'd say like people tree is a really good one the, the thing is that sustainable companies are going to be a little bit more expensive because they're doing slow fashion and they're mm-hmm. creating better quality products so it's going to seem expensive you know mm-hmm. buying from people tree or girlfriend collective um so it is nice to have those like thrifting options and then if you do have to buy fast fashion I don't think it's like the worst thing in the world if you do it every once in a while if you really have to I mean where do you get socks if not from Target? You know, I just don't understand. Where you get socks? <laughs> but yeah, um, other things that are really, really good for 
getting clothes sustainably would be like uh, clothing swaps or um, thrifting, buying online. You can thrift online at like ThreadUp and stuff like that. That ThreadUp is awesome. I love ThreadUp. And then a good way to recycle your clothing is just like cutting them into rags or um, swapping them, like I said. Uh, donating, you have to be a little bit careful because donating, it depends on where it's going. If you're donating to like your local thrift store or something, that's like, that's awesome. Sometimes if you donate to like these bigger corporations, they get sent in really large quantities to like places in Africa and it ruins the their their markets for like making clothing and stuff. Cause now they just have like a huge amount of clothing and everybody can have clothing. Um, but it also is adding to pollution and stuff like that. So you have to be careful about donating, but you can always like cut it into rags or, you know, there's lots of other ways to reuse clothing. So just kind of getting creative and being mindful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I never <laughs> thought to cut it into a rag. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I've done it with a few things, but it does seem weird when you have just like a sleeve and you're like <laughs> <laughs> just cleaning with your sleeve. <laughs> but it is nice just to have rags like that, you know. Mm -hmm. And like if you're artistic at all, like sewing and like repurposing oh gosh, yeah. clothes is cool. Making I... your own clothes. That's yeah. so awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like if you have like something that doesn't fit you, maybe like making it into something else, like if you have like a pair of pants, you could like take that fabric and do something else mm. if you're a creative type. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, that's a really good point too. So I think as, you know, to kind of start wrapping up, Rach and I were really curious if you had any sort of just takeaways or main advice that you would extend to people who are starting out in the fashion industry, whether it is being a model or just in any, I guess, any industry in general, just how to kind of be there for yourself and to like get what you need, um, especially in this world, though, where there is a lot of pressure and like maybe not as much agency. Yeah, definitely. I think in the modeling industry, uh, as well as like freelancing or even online dating or just like in general as women I feel like we should be advocating for ourselves more and um just kind of being more careful about maybe meeting with people if you have a photographer that's uh contacting you uh always bring someone with you or ask for um like a picture of their ID or something so that you have more so that you have more accountability for their actions or you know also people aren't going to want to shoot with you if they have bad intentions and they see that you're taking so many steps to be careful so that should lower your risk by a lot um yeah I'd say mostly just like take care of like your mental and your physical health by eating well and making sure that if people are taking toxic approaches to who you are or treating you like an object that you're mentally healthy enough to kind of understand that you're not, that you're a person and you have importance and all that. So yeah, but I think most importantly, we all need to advocate for ourselves more, especially mm -hmm. as women. For real. <laughs> yeah. We definitely don't ask for what we need as much as we should, so. Yeah, I think especially with like <laughs> social media, there's a lot more people that model in more of a freelance environment so I think 
that's really good advice for people that might not have as many like an agency or like more people backing them up to like mm-hmm. really be very mindful of who you're working with especially if you meet them online or like through yeah dms or something mm-hmm. yeah. you got to keep the people that you're working with accountable for sure mm-hmm. and get money up front forgot to say that before oh yeah <laughs> that's, that's a good one mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah we were also curious like how does it feel now to have left that world that you were a part of for such a long time, like a really big chunk of your life, you were in the modeling world and like the fashion world? It, it's weird. Um, yeah, because it was part of my life for so long. There was a process of, I guess I went through like a process of like grief and kind of understanding that this wouldn't be life forever. And figuring out who I am and my image of myself as a person and what my what my worth is as someone who's not a model because I think people who are models put a lot of worth in their appearance so it's been a bit of a it's been a bit of um an adjustment getting used to life not as a model but I really enjoy it I like not having to think about what I look like every day, or if I'm going to casting, not eating a bagel or something before I go, you know, I can eat whatever I want and not think about it. And I think that in the few years that I've been not modeling with an agency, I think my mental health has gotten a lot better. It's very much improved, including my body image and my relationship with food and stuff like that. So yeah. I think it's a positive transition for sure. Mm. Oh, well, thanks so much for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to hear that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been like really, really great. Mm-hmm. Um, just going to say, I feel like I've learned so much about like your career more because I feel like we haven't really talked too much yeah. about it besides like a few things or like you living abroad I've asked about, but it was cool to learn more details mm-hmm. yeah it's a big it's a broad topic so mm-hmm. yeah I'm glad that we all got to talk about it it's just kind of an interesting part of life right so mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. it was really fun to hear more and to like kind of reflect on it together so yeah thanks for talk being to my here. family about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like especially for our like talking about like our podcast is kind of about young adulthood and I think like body image and fashion is like a big part of this time period so yeah I feel like yeah and just what we talked about with like advocating for yourself I feel like a lot of people in this stage are getting their first like full-time jobs or you know Mm -hmm. learning how to build that confidence so I'm glad that nowadays, I sound so old saying that, I'm glad that like now society (laughs) and social media people are so much more outspoken about mental health and body image and all those lovely things because I I think growing up without that in my young adulthood was a bit hard just because you have to figure out all those things by yourself. You're kind of like looking at everyone else going like, is everyone else feeling this way? You know, so it is nice to see that change in society and where everyone's kind of like let's be healthy and 
enjoy mm-hmm. life and not be so hard on ourselves and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You feel less alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So we covered so many awesome topics today. We just want to thank you again, Amelia, for coming on and taking the time to share all of this with us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was super fun. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. So um, that was an amazing conversation. Mm -hmm. We had so much fun talking to Amelia. And, you know, we had a lot of laughs throughout that we cut out, which was fun. (laughs) (laughs) It was just nice kind of chatting with her because we, because of COVID, haven't seen her in like over a year so yeah at least in person Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but I really enjoyed the conversation as well and I think I learned quite a bit about not only just the fashion industry but just about how you can be an advocate for yourself as a young person Mm -hmm. in any sort of career and um I just think that's a really valuable thing um that we were able to gather from hearing about some of her really like crazy experiences honestly yeah for sure so in the meantime maybe try thrifting if you haven't um it's a lot of fun and especially thread up like amelia was saying is the very covid friendly it's Mm -hmm. all online i think it's been really eye-opening to just think about how one choice like one purchase with a clothing item can really have such a huge impact not only on me and on people but also the environment and so it's really inspired me to want to do more research as well and and get more into slow fashion yeah and like support brands that we feel are not only contributing to sustainability but also to um inclusivity in modeling as well and like the prioritization of human rights too Mm -hmm. yeah so this was really interesting yeah so let us know what you thought about this episode you can always reach out to us on social media we're on instagram at mochas in the meantime podcast we're also on facebook at mochas in the meantime podcast and please message us on our website as well. It's mochasinthemeantime.com. Yeah, and we have some blog posts coming up and, you know, just expanding um, into that creative realm as well as podcasting. Mm -hmm. And, oh, before I forget, if anybody is interested in being a guest blogger, we're super interested and, like, really hoping. It's been a dream of ours to have people write blog posts for us. So if Mm -hmm. this is of any interest to you, even if you've never written a blog post in your entire life, please reach out to us on our website. If you have any ideas for topics, we really do want to hear what you have to say and showcase it. Yeah. So with that, um, I guess all we have left to say is (laughs) peace. peace.